Brilliant. Well, let me add my welcome to, again, those you've had already. It's really lovely to um, see you this morning. Let me pray again as we come to God's Word, though. Father, please, this morning, according to the riches of your glory, would you grant us that you would strengthen us by your power, through your Spirit in our inner beings. Please, Father, work in us, change us, and build us up to maturity in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Being a Christian is, is wonderful. Many of us in this room, Christians, many of us would uh, heartily agree to that. Being a Christian is wonderful. The peace that we enjoy with God, the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the relationship that we enjoy now and we will enjoy for all eternity. Being a Christian is wonderful. But being a Christian is hard. And again, many of us in this room, Christians, would agree with that too. It is hard to love one another at times. It is hard to witness, to reach out to the lost around us. It is hard to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus each and every day. It is hard. We need power. To live as God's people, we need power. And that is exactly what we find Paul praying for in this, our second prayer in our series, Big Bible Prayers. But what does it mean to have power? And if I were to say to you, tomorrow, you are going to be filled with power. I wonder what you think, oh, what would that be like tomorrow? Well, I typed in power into the, 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 the website where I get our pictures um, for these slides. And, and you type in power. These are the, some of the kind of things that you get. Right? Niagara Falls. Wow, that's powerful. Lightning. Um, crashing, wa- um, crashing waves or weightlifting. Those kind of what we tend to think of as power. But those things are, are external and impressive. The power that Paul prays for is internal and might be unimpressive, but it produces remarkable effects. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church here, in chapters 1 to 3, has been explaining to them the wonders of the gospel, the incredible things that Jesus has achieved for his people. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he will turn to show them the implications of those things, of what difference that should make in their lives. And Paul's prayer in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, well, that's really the hinge point of the, the, the book. Because he's going from all those, um, those things that he showed of Jesus, and now, now he's turning to what it should look like. And if you just kind of glance down, perhaps even just at the headings, but if we're going to grow in unity, that's the kind of first half of chapter 4. If we're going to have this new life within us, no longer angry or malicious, but rather our speech is going to be upbuilding. We're going to be forgiving one another. If we're going to walk in love, if our families are going to function well, mirroring the, reflecting the relationship between Jesus and the church, if we're going to stand against the devil's schemes, we need power. We need power. We cannot do it ourselves. 
And so, before he turns to these things, Paul prays for this power. Have a look down with me at verse 14. Paul begins, For this reason... Now, usually when we read for this reason, we just look back to what he said just before to find out what what the reason is. But actually, if you look back to chapter 3, verse 1, you see, for this reason. And so it appears that Paul kind of starts his prayer and then kind of goes off on a digression. Um, So for this reason, the reason, I think, is really all that he said in chapters 1 and 2. All that he's written about the glorious gospel and the change that that Jesus brought about. In the light of those things, for this reason, Paul prays. So let's again, chapter 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He is praying for power. But before we get to looking at kind of what this power does, did you notice the abundant source of this power? You see, asking God for this power is a bit like asking the sun for a bit of heat. This is an abundant source of it. It is according to the riches of his glory. There is no lacking in this supply. And did you notice that little word, according to? It is according to the riches of his glory. That word according to is is a kind of proportional one. So, for example, if I were to give you some money according to my wealth, and if... um, Bill Gates were to give you some money according to his wealth, you would get very different amounts of money from us because we'd be giving according to our wealth. Well, the riches that Paul, the source of the riches that Paul is looking to, it's abundant and it's going to be according to, it's proportional to that. So this is an abundant power, abundant source of power that Paul appeals to, which gives us confidence as we pray these things. And Paul prays for for three things, although we're not meant to see them as kind of three separate, distinct things. Um, So uh, someone's spoken about the idea of there being like steps. They're kind of building up upon one another. But we're praying for power, and then first of all, we are praying for his presence. So again, let me uh, read from verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And in, Paul is praying for an internal strengthening through the Holy Spirit. Did you see that this is happening in our inner beings? This isn't external signs of might. This is um, not visible. It's talking about our souls, our spirits, rather than our bodies. And Paul is praying that these, our inner inner being, would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. But again, what does he mean? Well, verse 17 kind of builds and explains on that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just a second, did did you notice the kind of Trinitarian aspect of this prayer? (coughs) Paul is praying to the Father that we may be strengthened with power through the Spirit that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. 
But the question is, though, Paul, look, doesn't Christ come by his Spirit to dwell in the hearts of every Christian when they become a Christian? Well, yes, absolutely. When somebody becomes a Christian, Jesus, by his Spirit, comes to make his home in them. But it's helpful to know that there are, there are two words for this word dwell used in verse 17. So, so the Greek has, has two words. And one word has, kind of has, carries the idea of like a temporary stay, a bit like kind of staying in a tent. You, know, you, no one wants to, you don't want to stay in a tent forever. For a week it's lovely, but beyond that it gets a bit cold and wet. Um, one is it's kind of a temporary stay. The second word, which is the one that is used here, is much stronger it kind of carries the idea of like setting up home. Uh, Don Carson, in his book that I've referred to and will refer to many times again, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he, he uses a really helpful analogy. He says, that think of a, um, a couple who uh, they got married and they're saving up their resources and they, 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 they save it carefully and then finally they're able to purchase their first house. And they, they move in, and of course, when they move in, it's actually a complete mess. They find there's a leak in the roof, the damp is rising up through the thing, the floorboards are all rotten, and a whole place needs doing up. And then gradually, over time, when time and money allows, they, they do a bit of work, and 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 then so 10, 15 years' time, or whatever it is, yeah, it's home. And Carson applies it like this, that that when Jesus takes up residence within us, he finds all kinds of mess. The floorboards all creak, damp everywhere, holes everywhere. And so he sets about turning it into a place fit for his residence. And there is a lot of repair work to do. There are much needed extensions It takes a lot of power to bring that change in our lives, to make them fit for Jesus' home. And that's what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying for this internal work that our lives would be fit, increasingly fit for Jesus, that he would set up home in our hearts. You remember last week in that first prayer we looked at in Ephesians 1, we seen Paul's priority of the spiritual things. That's what he prayed about first. And it's important note to, again, to note again here that it is the internal that Paul is most concerned about. It is the inner being. It is the heart. Do you think it's fair to say that for us, by and large, so much of the time... We are more concerned with the external than the internal. For example, think about your prayers this week. If you use kind of a ratio of prayers for external or internal, what would that balance look like for you? What's the ratio of praying for physical health, for yourself, your family, for any others, or praying for spiritual health? Health. What's the, the, the ratio of praying for phys- your physical comfort? Or if I could put it this way, Jesus' comfort. See again, Paul's priority of praying for spiritual things. And we see that again. So first he was praying for the power power of his presence. And secondly, praying for power to grasp his love. 
Let's read on from the midway through verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's not entirely clear in that first look few words there, being rooted and grounded in love, whether Paul is saying, look, you are already this, or whether this is part of the prayer, praying that you would be. I think it's probably a bit of both, because they are Christians, they, they know this love, but Paul is praying that they would be increasingly rooted and grounded in love. There are two very similar images, but kind of one from the farm, one from the building sites. You, you, you picture a, a plant that sends its roots down deep in order that it might grow high. Think of a building, again, that you build down deep, secure the foundation that you can then rise up high. Well, Paul says that your, your roots, your foundation, is and would it increasingly be love. Would you be founded in love, planted in love? You see, for a building or a plant, you've got to be established in the right thing. I know nothing about farming but, or growing things, but I, I do know that there is soil that is better and worse. And where I said sandy and kind of chalky is bad, I look to a gardener. That's bad, and there are other things which are good. I know building, and you know, try and build a house on the sand, ain't going to get far. The foundation of these uh, people, Paul is praying that your foundation, you'd be rooted in love. They know God's love, but they don't grasp it. We don't, they don't understand it. They don't appreciate it. They don't delight in it as they should. And so Paul here is praying that they would have strength to grow in their understanding of the love of Christ. Look again in verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the, um, uh, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, Paul is praying for them about the love of Christ. And he uses two words to just, Paul uses two words to describe uh, what he wants them to do. The first one there is comprehend. The word comprehend, again, could be translated as like apprehend or grasp, grab hold of. He wants them to grasp and grab hold of the limitless love of Christ. You know, he puts it here, and he just all the superlatives, isn't it? The um, the breadth, and the length, and the height, and the depth. Paul wants us to grasp the the limitless love of Christ, and truly what love it is. Truly what love it is. If you don't know what the love of Christ is, then I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter one, two, and the first half of chapter three. To see the love of Christ who would willingly and joyfully come to leave his father's home, father's side in heaven and come to earth to lay aside all his majesty, to come to earth and to live here, but not just even to live here on earth, but to die here on earth and dying in the place of his people, that he would endure the full wrath of God for his people's sins. What love of Christ! 
Read it in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 in the first half of chapter 3. And Paul is praying they would grasp it. It's, it's not less than understanding, but it is more. We see that again in verse 19. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? When you read it slowly, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that you'd know the unknowable. Know what can't be known. Because again, it isn't just a, a knowing or an understanding of facts. It's a knowing, it's one thing that knowing honey is sweet because you've read it in a textbook. But it's an entirely different thing to appreciate it, to delight in it, to experience it when you dip your finger in it and eat. And this is the kind of knowing, the grasping that Paul is talking about here. It isn't just an intellectual exercise. This isn't just so that um, in a one-to-one you can more clearly explain the love of Christ to someone. That's a great thing to do, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not so that in your vineyards, uh, your small group study this Wednesday, that you can answer someone really eloquently about what the love of Christ is. It's not so that you can just explain the love of Christ better to your children and your family Bible times. All of those things are good, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He wants them to grasp, to grab hold of for themselves the almost unimaginably large weight of love that Christ has for them. He wants them to experience it, to feel it, to love it. It is not less than understanding in the mind, but it is surely more. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe when I use that word feeling and experience, that might made you kind of slightly wary. And indeed, there would be some situations that would be right to be wary when people are speaking of those things. Because the problems arise when we separate Scripture from experience. When feelings have no reference to knowledge, then there are indeed problems. But when they are held together, this is what Paul is praying for. It's this understanding... This intellectual understanding of Christ's love, yes, but is accompanied by a grasping onto, a treasuring, a delighting in it. This is what Paul prays for. The genuine and deep perception of love, the love of Christ, rarely comes to those who don't spend time in the words. This appreciation, this grasping of the love of Christ very rarely happens to those who don't spend a lot of time in the words. But do put your intellect to work, as it were. Do spend time reading thoughtfully God's word, meditating worshipfully on it, and pray for it, and pray for it. Pray that you would have strength to grasp Christ's limitless love. And then thirdly, praying for power to be full. Again, this is not a separate request, but we see how these building blocks fit together. As Christ comes and makes his home within us, and as we grasp his love more and more, Paul prays at the end of verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What on earth does that mean? 
Good old Paul sentence, that, isn't it? That you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, I think it will make more sense if we actually look at an equally complicated verse. But but just cast your eyes over to chapter 4, verse 13, when we find Paul use a very similar phrase. In chapter 4 there, Paul is explaining that Jesus gives the church gifts. And in verse 13, until until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, there are complicated words again, but what I want you to, to see is the connection, how in Paul's mind, this being filled to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ is in his mind the same as mature manhood, being mature. So when Paul is praying in our verse, in um, verse 19, that would be filled with all the fullness of God, he is praying for full maturity, full maturity in the faith, spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity comes, how? Well, when Christ is increasingly at home within us, and as we grasp his love. That's a helpful definition of what Christian maturity is. Jesus is increasingly at home in their lives, and we grasp his love. Paul prays for power, power for his presence, power to grasp his love, power to be full, to grow to full maturity. But as Paul prays that they would grasp the limitless love of Christ, you know, he can't help but turn to praise himself. So verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 really is a remarkable verse, if you think about it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly, not just a little bit more, but far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. The NIV puts it, well, ask or imagine. I like how it puts it there. Now you know what, Paul? I can pray for and imagine an awful lot. Right? I can pray that we as a church would be encouraging one another to grow in our faith. I can imagine a great revival of hordes and hordes of people turning to the Lord Jesus right throughout New Barnet and High Barnet and Whetstone and East Barnet and wherever else. I can imagine that happening. I can pray that we would be a united, loving community I can imagine marriages rescued and redeemed, friendships reconciled. I can pray those things. I can imagine those things and an awful lot more. And yet Paul says God is able to do far more abundantly than even those things. How? By, did you notice it? The power at work within us. As we pray for that power to be at work in us, well, God is able to do more than we can even ask for or imagine. And do you see how just as Paul started his prayer, 
by giving grounds for confidence that he's praying this power would come from according to the uh, riches of his glory. And so Paul ends now with giving confidence in the same way. As we pray, we are praying to the God who is able to do more than we could ask for, more than we could think of. But then also do you see the focus, the ultimate goal of this internal work in our lives isn't actually us. The ultimate goal, the ultimate, ultimate purpose is God and his glory. To him be glory. Where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. As, as our lives are changed, as our lives become increasingly fit as, a home, as homes for Jesus, as we grasp his love more and more, as we grow to maturity, it is all for his glory now and forever. I said last week, I'll say again, I'll probably say next week and probably the week after that, that my prayer for this series is that as we look at big Bible prayers, they would become our normal everyday prayers. These big Bible prayers would become our our normal everyday prayers. And so again, can I encourage you this week, Pray this prayer every day. Open it up. Pray this prayer every day. Read it through. Just pray it as written. Yeah, that's great. Or take each of the the requests and, and you put it into your own words. Fantastic. But use this prayer to pray every day. Because praying for those external things and our worries is not wrong. But we want to be praying for these things too. And again, if you're feel, feeling at the moment, I don't know how you're viewing your, your, how you, you're feeling about your spiritual life at the moment, but if you're feeling a little bit stale, pray this prayer. Pray that you would grasp the uh, limitless love of Christ. If you're feeling on fire, if you're feeling like actually things are going really well and you're daily delighting in your walk with the Lord and you're fighting sin and all those things, fantastic, pray this prayer. Pray that you'd be growing to full maturity. Take these words, make them their own. And remember as we pray, we are praying to the God who is able to do even more than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray that now. Father, please would our lives be increasingly pleasing to the Lord Jesus and fit home for him. Father, please would we increasingly grasp the incredible love of Christ. It wouldn't just be known, but it would be experienced too. Father, please would you be building us individually as a church to full maturity. All we pray for your glory. Amen. Amen.